0: Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, and thanks for asking, Buck.
0: So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days?
1: Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad who was running the business and my grandparents who founded the company, but we're finding our way.
0: Stacy, I can't imagine that that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business.
1: Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot.
0: Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? <laughs>
1: We have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient.
0: Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis.
1: That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away.
0: Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive.
2: And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by Made Sim, featuring the Sim Driver, designed with a radical new head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge-like feel. And the Sim fairway woods with low CG to help you hit it higher and a V-steel sole to launch it even easier out of any lie. Go get fit for Sim throughout the entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire game. Check it out online at taylormaggolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, now back in making his eighth appearance with me is Owen Brown. Let me remind you about Owen's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf at Occidental College out in L.A. He joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually worked his way up to being the number one player on the team. He was named a first-team All-Conference, All-SCIAC golfer in 1980 and 1982. He was inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and the Golf Annual MVP award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times on what was then the Nike Tour, now the Corn Ferry Tour. He won twice in 1991, once in '93, and once in '96. He's won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open, which is now the Travelers' Championship. Oh, won that tournament by chipping in from 40 feet to defeat Stewart Sink and Larry Mize in a playoff. He also won the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he was named the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. Over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 48 top 10 finishes, and 110 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. Nearly won the Chubb Classic last year, rooting hard for him every week and looking forward to seeing him back out on the Champions Tour and thrilled to have him with me tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Olin, how are you, my friend?
3: God dang it, Chris, after that intro, everything else is going to be a letdown. What do you do when Tiger Woods comes on the show? When you get the- <laughs> Like two weeks <laughs> worth of his resume, <laughs> don't
2: you? <laughs> yeah, I got to cut that one way back. Yeah. But uh, hey, it's long, like a long and illustrious career, going, my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, you doing all right? How are you? I'm doing okay, man. I'm bouncing off the walls here at home, getting ready to go back to work, though. So looking forward to it. I think, uh, and these are hard times for everybody. It's just tough for people who are used to being active and getting out and about and it's just it's just a tough go
2: what's uh what have you been doing how have you been spending your time during lockdown
3: well, i'm gonna have to buy a new seat uh cushion for my for my uh couch because it's got two <laughs> butt cheek indentations in it and um you know i'm um getting out every day uh my wife and I go for walks every day. We take our dog and, you know, go go over to the beach. They didn't close the beach where we live, so we've spent some time over there and I haven't honestly uh played any golf since the last round at at uh Newport Beach Country Club in March. So um, uh I've been preserving my body <laughs> so they wear it out before I go back on the road here for the rest of the year. <laughs> So,
2: when are you going to get back out on the, the practice tee at least and, and you know try to shake off the rust and get yourself ready?
3: Actually, I'm going to kick it into gear here this week uh we go back to Colonial in 3 weeks if we if we're still on for it. And uh I have been there since 2014 and I just love that place. And uh really it's nice to have an open week. It's always opposite our senior PGA, which is a tough event to to pass on and uh and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back there and um, really really looking forward to it. So for
2: for you when you get back out there, how is COVID-19 gonna change things? Is it gonna change things for you? Is it gonna make you think about you know interacting with fans or all the people, the volunteers, and the the folks at tournaments? Is is it gonna change your approach at all?
3: Well, as you know, the PGA Tour is taking a pretty proactive um, Approach on this, and for at least the first four events, there aren't going to be any fans planned. Uh, which means that there are going to be less volunteers, fewer volunteers. They won't be needed to, you know, to uh, to herd the masses around the course and to to help, you know, administer the event. So, I think that the the numbers of people on site will be greatly reduced. Now, having said that, um, you know, the fans are the reason that we play. So it's going to be kind of a strange feeling to be out there. Uh, And I I don't think anybody really knows what to expect. And I think, I think, you know, after what we saw last Sunday, you know, everybody's champing at the bit to get back and we we want some, we want to, we want to get back to work. We want to get back to entertaining our fans. We want to get back to playing and doing the things that we love to do. And so I think that, you know, the first week is certainly going to be, um, you know, like the bellwether, and we'll see where it goes after that. But uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. I can't wait to go back at it, and I think a lot of other guys are feeling the same way.
2: And you mentioned it being sort of strange when you get back out there. I mean, birdie putts that fall, eagle putts that fall, uh, a close race, you know, in a in a, four, in a final round, and nobody there to to cheer or anything. That's that's got to be kind of eerie, you know. That sort of a golf tournament broke out, but nobody came. How how is that going to feel when you know from from a pressure perspective, from an excitement perspective? It's got to be odd.
3: Well, I think the excitement will be um, diminished. I think the pressure perspective will still be there. I mean, everybody's going to know exactly what what's at stake and and what's being played for. But you know, the the, the fact that uh, that the fans are there, you know, adds electricity to what's going on. And I think it's going to be maybe a little bit maybe somber is the wrong word but something along those lines it's going to be less than uh it's going to be less than energetic and we're just going to have to see how that goes
2: talking about uh this past sunday with the skins game wanted to get your thoughts about that what do you think about what we saw from rory dj ricky and, and matt wolf what would you think about the play
3: well i thought look i thought that uh you know the guys weren't as sharp as they'd want to be but, You know. um there's, there's not just a physical component to it, you know, with the practice and all that, but there's an emotional mental commitment to being ready to play. And with all this downtime and all this question about if, and when we're going to come back, I think guys have rightly taken some time away and, you know, tried to cool, cool their jets, maybe relax mentally. So that, you know, cause when we come back, it's going to be a big push. And there's not going to be any time off. There's going to be a condensed season. And guys are going to be pushing the limits a little bit more. So I don't think we saw their best golf. We certainly saw a lot of quality golf, but, you know, it was was relatively inconsistent. And having said that, you know, I think a lot of people were really excited about the opportunity to tune in and see a great old golf course like Seminole on TV. And and it was great to have those four guys. Look, they're all legitimate stars and great players. And I just – Uh, I tuned in. I watched every minute of it and I enjoyed it. Speaking of Seminole, have you ever played there? I played there a few times. Yep. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Talk, you know, because
2: the course, I mean, this is our first opportunity by our, I mean, the the viewers and fans of the game, our first real opportunity to get, uh, get a glimpse of what that course looks like. It looks fantastic from what I saw on television. Talk about what it's like being out there and playing it.
3: Well, you know, it's, it's, prime real estate and you know what the the three l's in real estate are location 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 it abuts the atlantic ocean um it's got it it didn't show the elevation changes uh, on tv like it is there's a there's a sand dune that runs through the north side of the golf course and they're really only i I mean there's really some of the comments on twitter there everybody was saying wow it's just a flat florida course well in fact there are only five holes that are flat the rest of them are, are Along a hillside, or up, up, up hill, or downhill, and uh, you know it plays according to the wind. Now, it, it they've done a lot of work on it in the last uh, four or five years. I know that uh, Ben Crenshaw uh, and his partner, uh, Mr. Coor, have come out there and and um, kind of tried to restore Seminole uh, to its past glory. And I think he's done a tremendous job. I thought it presented beautifully on TV, and I thought the guys put on a good show.
2: So part of what we saw there awaiting the golf course aside were four guys playing golf in shorts. When are we going to get to see more of that? I know the the, uh, uh some of the rules that changed to let you guys do that in, in practice rounds or pro ams. Are, are we inching our way there, Owen, where at least in the summertime you guys might be able to wear shorts.
3: You, you have to believe that it's headed that direction eventually. And, and certainly the commentary by and large, was tremendously positive about, you know, but the argument has been for a long time that, you know, golfers in slacks are more professional than golfers wearing shorts. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's hot as heck in the summertime in a lot of places, and it causes people a lot of trouble. Um, look, I think we want golf to take a more relaxed approach. Historically, it's been a little bit staid, and we're trying to appeal to a broader audience. I don't see any harm in going to shorts whenever the players feel like doing the caddies have been doing it for a number of years. I don't think anybody looks at the caddies and say they can't caddy anymore because they're wearing shorts. So, you know, we just have to be a little patient, see, see what the triggers are that uh, that get the tour to go to shorts whenever players feel the need.
2: Well, I don't want to switch gears a little bit. we learned last week that the USGA is is canceling qualifying for the U S open. Um, your thoughts on on the uh, on the on that ruling and some of the players that would typically get an opportunity that you know may never have another opportunity to play in the US Open that can typically go out there qualify and get themselves in the field they may not get that opportunity this year what are your thoughts around that
3: well i mean the first thing that you would say is well you know that's really too bad the second thing you have to say is look they're trying to do the best job that they can with given the situation. I mean, they, not only did they cancel qualifying, but they canceled the bulk of their championship season. Uh, we lost the senior open. The women lost the, their senior open. You know, a bunch of their amateur tournaments. They're holding basically, I think it's four of, you know, their biggest events, which are the the, the men's and women's opens and the men's and women's amateurs. And the, and the rest of it is, is a casualty of the times. And really, it's really sad. It's really unfortunate because you know golf has a lot of constituencies. You know, it's not just it's not just those four groups, but everybody looks towards the USGA. You know, they're they're in the leadership capacity in golf, and perhaps they feel like they're taking the appropriate um, approach on this. Uh, but I, I would have sure loved to have seen them make a uh, a bigger effort to include the rest of their championships now. It's very difficult to conduct 13 or whatever championships they do in such an abbreviated time. So I can appreciate that that problem. Um, and then I, I think I think that going to uh, you know whatever categories that they're going to to fill the fields uh, is an effort to minimize um, a lot of the issues that are related to this entire situation. And uh, I think I think in all likelihood it's a one-off. I mean, unless the world's coming to an end, which is, you know, hey, at some point that's going to happen, but hopefully it's not anytime soon. Um, I think that everybody's doing the very best that they can, and the USJ has, has taken this on as well as they can, and and uh, hopefully this is just one of those kinds of years where we look back and say, I man, we got through that and we are back to normal uh, the next time around, next cycle.
2: And, Owen, speaking of qualifying for a U.S. Open, you once shot 59 when you were qualifying back in 2005 at Woodmont Country Club up in Rockville, Maryland. Finished birdie, eagle, eagle. Take us through what it's like to shoot 59.
3: Well, Chris, I don't know if I've told this story to you uh, before, but I mean, I didn't know I shot 59. I thought I'd shot 58 because um, I couldn't do the math during the course of the round, and I kept adding up my score going, that's 59. No, man, I shot 58, and it just wasn't right. No, I just lost track. I was making so many birds, and I finished eagle-eagle. I just couldn't add it up at the end of the day. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the qualifying thing, and then and then my 59 and qualifying for the U.S. Open. I was talking to Doug Ferguson, another uh, media guy, earlier today, and we think, uh, he told me, we think that Michael Campbell qualified for the u.s open and i was paired with him on sunday when he won at pinehurst so speaking to your point about guys who aren't uh able to now qualify for the event uh you know there's there's an example with michael campbell having qualified vis-a-vis the european tour or australian tour whichever it was i'm not sure and then going out and winning the tournament that's not going to happen this year
2: right yeah i think steve jones did the same um, I'd have to go back and look that up, but yeah, I think there was a couple of guys that have qualified and gone through and won. Um, but to your, to your round of 59, you thought you shot 58, you end up shooting 59 still. That's a, that's a heck of a day. Did, did it, it all start to become a burden or something on your mind? A lot, a lot of the things we're going to talk about on tonight's show is the mental side of the game, but did that ever start to creep in that, Especially when you when you made eagle on 17, that you know what I I could actually do this here.
3: Well, uh, uh, but by the time I made eagle on 17, I knew that I was going to be good enough to. I, I shot 73 in the morning round, and it was a it was one of those kind of things where I hit 17 greens, and I the one green that I missed, I didn't get up and down. I had a three putt, you know, and I made one birdie, and I was just bent, and I was on the verge of, of withdrawing, and, and so I signed my scorecard and I'm throwing a fit. You know, I look. It's a hundred three degrees or whatever it was. My caddy was half, half, you know, lagging the whole day long. And I looked at the uh, score or the the guys on us, you know, at the scoring table. And I go, what's the right way to withdraw so you get don't get in trouble? So, Will you tell us, and then we tell them, and then you withdraw. So I said to him, I go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna have lunch. And I'm gonna think about it. And we'll, you know, I'll make my decision. But I was pretty much done. Uh, You know. Uh, playing congressional later that week. And I wanted to be, it's Washington, D.C. It's my hometown. It was really hot. I didn't want to be fried out. I, I was already half bent from playing poorly in the morning, shooting a poor score in the morning. And uh, and so I went and had lunch. And I'm sitting there with a buddy of mine and my caddy and I, I started talking about what I was doing. I, you know, I think I'm going to bail. You know, it was 2005. My son is, he's 16 years old. My daughter is 13 years old. You know, I tell them things like, you know, look, it's not always going to go your way. Things aren't always easy. You know, when when things aren't going your way, that doesn't mean you just pick up your your toys and you move on to the next level or next place. And you got to hang in there. You got you to gotta show up. You got to put up. You got to you got to deal with it. And I, and I look at my caddy and I go, you know what? I, I thought I was going to withdraw, but I'm not sure that I can face my kids and tell them that they can never give up if I, if I walk away now. And he looked at me and to his credit, he said, you know what? Oh, you're right. And uh, so I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll play, we'll play nine holes. And if I'm out of it then, then I'm out of it. And it doesn't matter. And then we're done. And he said, okay. Well, I shot 30 on that nine. And we made the turn. I looked at, I looked at the old bucket. I said, we can't quit now, can we? He says, nope. we got to keep going. <laughs> and uh, I birdied a couple holes to start the back nine. And then I had a little wall, But then I finished, like you said, I finished birdie, eagle, eagle. And, and shot 29. And, you know, it was a hit look. It's a sports psychologist. Uh, dream right was to have a round like that because I was lost in what I was doing. I had no idea what what score I was shooting and uh, how well I was playing and how and how easy it was, you know. And it was such it was such a uh, kind of like a 180 from the morning round where I where I played really nice golf and got absolutely nothing out of the round. And it, you know, it's one of the reasons that the great players succeed, you know, like Tiger, like Tom Watson, like Jack Nicklaus, like. Phil, like all of these guys who are elite players is that, you know what, they never give into the game. Now the game isn't always going to give you what you want. It's not going to give you always what you earn, but you got to show up. You got to, you got to go through the motion. You got to, you got to make your best effort. And uh, when you do all of a sudden things like that really do happen. And, you know, I, I had no idea really at the time, how important that was, you know, first of all, 59, Okay, the 59 didn't mean that much. What meant something to me was that I qualified for the U.S. Open. I wasn't exempt at that point. By the way, I was playing on a 126 to 150 category. I was 126 or 7 that year. I can't remember. I was getting into a lot of tournaments, but it was when I got in I could play. I didn't get always my choices, right? Um, but, you know, going down and playing Pinderson and then playing so well, I was leading, tied Tied with Rockler after the first round. Um, tied with Retief after the second round. Played with Retief on Saturday. He's leading the tournament, and I playing with Michael Campbell. He wins. I butcher Sunday. But you know, going through that and being that far up the leaderboard at that venue in those conditions had a lot of legs. And even though I crashed on Sunday, you know, later in the year, I got into Deutsche Bank. Um, Seth Wong gave me a sponsor I got into Deutsche Bank, and, you know, after 27 holes, I'm Tigers leading after the first round. After 27 holes, I'm tied to the lead. I'm leading after 36. I'm leading at, tied to the lead after 54. I end up beating Jason Bone by a shot, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without having gone through what I went through at Piners. I, I wouldn't have been able to do that without having gone back and playing the second round of the qualifier that Monday. So, I mean, these things are all interconnected and, you know, you you get the opportunity to talk to younger players and they ask you about things that matter. You know, that's a story that I can relate to somebody that will have legs and may, may make a difference. It may resonate with somebody to the extent that, you know, they, they understand the level of commitment that it takes to play good golf all the time. And without, you know, wandering off the reservation or, or whatever, I mean, there's, there, was a, there was a moment when I was watching Tiger Woods way back. I mean, it's it's probably 18 or 20 years ago now, where he was winning Bay Hill. And it was one of those crummy winter days in Orlando. It was raining. It was in the 40s. And he had the flu. And he was walking off. He's to the side. And, you know, he's going into the he's He was throwing up. And he was just feeling awful. And it occurred to me at some point during that round, you know, and watching what he was doing because a lot of people would have mailed it in, right? They would, have, they would have withdrawn or they would have shot 80, like I did Sunday at the U.S. Open or whatever. But Tiger, Tiger didn't want to lose. And, in fact, he, he was going to drag himself around the course. And it occurred to me during watch, watching him play that round that he, he might rather die on the golf course than lose that tournament. And that's why he's Tiger Woods. That's why he's the greatest player of our generation. You could see that with great athletes. If you watch the last uh, the last dance, this thing with Michael Jordan the last few weeks, I mean, you uh-huh. definitely get that impression from him, from watching him. You know, there are certain athletes that are that are above and beyond and separate themselves from everybody else. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you know, a guy like Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal. Or it, it would happen if you're a tennis fan to be able to see three of the greatest players who've ever played the game all at the same time, their, their careers are overlapping. Nadal, Djokovic, and, and Federer, it's just phenomenal. And that's why we love sports, you know, and that's why last Sunday these four guys went to Seminole and we hadn't seen any live sports in a long while. And two and a half million people put their eyeballs on the TV and we wanted to watch that. And this weekend up at Medalist, we can have Tiger and Phil uh, pairing up with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and that's going to be an incredible event as well. So we well, have got a lot of good things happening. We're going to come out of this awful time. Uh, we're going to have to reboot what we're doing. We're going to have to get back after it again, and we're all going to have to we're going to have to pull together and pull off a you know half a miracle to get back to life as what we used to think is normal.
2: Well, and just one more before I let you go, and I just want to continue that story because it seems like the wave that, that you created for yourself in that second round of the U.S. Open qualifier kind of went into Pinehurst and then went into other parts of that season. And if you go back and if you had not done that, if you had decided, I'm just going to pack it in, you know what, forget it, none of that happened. That's sort of like that, that sort of one thing, right? I, I think of, it, you know, City Slickers, you know, what's the one thing? To me, that yeah. seems like the one thing for you. Right, if that changed everything, and 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 propelled so much more in your life,
3: and you know, there's no, there's nothing saying that it wouldn't have happened, but but the point that you're trying to make, and I agree with you, is that is that if you go through something like what I went through at Pinehurst, it wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't gone back to play the second round, and there's no question that I was better prepared. For being at Deutsche Bank, and then I finished second a couple of weeks later at at uh, at Valero too. So I mean, I had in a in a stretch there of a couple of weeks, something clicked, and and you know it, it went my way. But but there's absolutely no doubt there are moments that, and you could see them happening. I mean, you see it in the Ryder Cup or the Presidents Cup, you know, where where uh, players have these moments, and you could see where at that moment. Something's happened that you, you could put your finger on it. You could say, well, you know, that's going to be meaningful down the road. And you've heard it thousands of times about players who have done something at an event and say, and the question is, how did you do that? Well, four months ago, when I was in this situation at X place, I was presented with a similar situation. And this is how I handled it. This is what happened. And I knew that I could get through it. And it translated it traveled to this point in time, where it, it was it was extra meaningful. And so, this is what this is the whole principle of commitment, right? If you're committed to something, it doesn't matter, you know, what it is, it, 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 whether it's your schoolwork or your job or your relationships or your friendship, whatever it is. If you're committed and you're consistent, then those things have legs in the long run. And well, I tell you what, there there are these moments that occur to people. And they don't always occur to you at the moment, but sometimes in retrospect, where you can identify it and say, you know, that that was the moment that may, that meant that I that I understood it and I figured it out. And uh and it doesn't always stay with you, but for that, that for that at that point it made the difference. Oh,
2: before I let you go, um how are things going with your son? How are things with Owen Brown Junior?
3: He's doing great, you know he's uh a little disappointed because because uh there's no qualifying school this year and there's no way to get to the tour he's gonna he's gonna try and work his way on the court ferry he played the corn ferry last year and had kind of a miserable year where he didn't play as well as he would have liked but uh you know he he's got the feather in his cap he you know he he unders- he understands why the things went the way they went last year and he's got that year under his belt so what he wants to do is get back there and 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 get to building the resume again so that he can get to the next level because the you know the ideal is not you know that's not the end game corn fairy tour the end game is to be on the pga tour you know that that's been put on hold so everybody's everybody's progression is a year later now or a year delayed and uh it's just the times that we're in and you know what? Some people are going to survive that. and Some people aren't. And, uh, hopefully he's going to be one of those that survives it.
2: i let our uh, listeners know how can they follow you both online and on social media?
3: Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at Olin Brown and I have an Instagram account. I do not know what it is. I'm never on it, but, um, I like talking about stuff and people want to ask it off questions, check it out. Well, I'm happy to answer them. And, uh, you know, Chris, it's always great to be part of your show. Thanks for inviting me. I can't believe this is my eighth time on your show. Why do you keep inviting me back? I don't I don't get it. you you're about the fantastic. Same stuff. <laughs> we talk about the same stuff. It's all
2: great stuff. So, that's why every single time there's something new to learn. And just like we just learned about uh, you know, what happened to you with the uh, the qualifying and and all of that sort of thing, that's a fantastic story and that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of listeners. And, uh, if we didn't have you back, like if you didn't go back for your second round, we never would have got it. So thank you so much for sharing. You know what? I hope,
3: I I hope it helps somebody because you know what? Every single player of every single sport who has accomplished anything has a story just like that. I mean, every single one. So it's not unique. Uh, And you just got to find out what that moment is and identify it and put it in your quiver and use it when you can.
2: Thank you, my friend. Thank you for being generous with your time and coming back again. I'm already looking forward to number nine. I hope that's real soon.
3: Pleasure, man. It's great being with you. Number nine was my number in high school, so it'll be a good time. We'll do it again. There you go.
2: You bet. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you Bye, and your man. family.
3: Be well. Likewise. Thanks. See you. Bye.
2: That's a great Olin Brown. That story is absolutely fantastic, and uh, you can expect to see that in a. Uh, uh, and a highlight uh, reel from uh, from this show because that's a great story and a fantastic guy who told it and that's uh, sort of the the thing that I try to keep in mind a lot. What's the one thing? What's the one thing I you know from ever since I saw it on City Slickers, I keep that in mind. What's the one thing? And there it was. That's the one thing for Olin Brown. And maybe he's right. Maybe that's a, a you know a theme that we need to have for future shows and talk about that with uh, some future guests about what's the one thing that got them where that not only where they're at but what's the one thing that turns turn things around that might have been the linchpin in their careers to get them to where they got to. Um, that's a fantastic story. I love that. Look forward to catching up with Dolan again real soon. He's, uh, he's just fantastic. He's a treasure.
0: Hey it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you?
1: I'm doing well and thanks for asking Buck.
0: So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days?
1: Things are good. I mean of course we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad who was running the business and my grandparents who founded the company but we're finding our way.
0: Stacy, I can't imagine that that kind of loss in such a short period of time let alone the impact on the business.
1: Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot.
0: Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? <laughs>
1: We have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient.
0: Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis.
1: That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away.
0: Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. Is this the year you want to grow your business?